You're listening to the Co-Main Event Podcast. And now your hosts, Ben Folks and Chad Dundas. That's right. You're listening to another episode of the Co-Main Event Mixed Martial Arts Podcast. I'm your co-host, Chad Dundas, a longtime MMA journalist, novelist, and podcaster. And joining me, as always, from MMA Junkie in USA Today, it's your friend and mine, Mr. Ben Folks. Ben, I'm dirty. I haven't showered in a couple of days. Go on. It's been a week or two since I shaved. Sweet talker. I spent the night at my parents' house last night. Whoa. So it's basically like I come before you as the 18-year-old version of myself. You you look exactly the same as you usually look. Well, you I don't know. know do, you, do you regard this as somehow more slovenly than your usual appearance? Well, number one, I'm going to take that as a compliment. <laughs> do not. It's not the way it was intended. And that I'm keeping up appearances. Hmm. Okay. See, now I just wonder like what you think you look like normally. Yeah, just like uh, uh, Brad Pitt. Okay. Bradley Cooper gliding in here to do the podcast. This is like when week. I saw one of the author photos you took where I, I can tell from the photo that you think you're smiling. You think, like in your head, you're like, this is a killer, just Hollywood smile, mega, 10,000 yeah. megawatt smile I'm flashing right now. And to the viewer, it comes off as more of a grimace. A glower. <laughs> yes. You know, that's the thing, though. When, whenever I have a, a public picture of myself, I need other people to look at it so they can tell me what face I'm making. Because yes. I'll look at a picture and I'll be like, oh, yeah, look at me. Looking friendly, as usual. And then other <laughs> people look at it and they'll be like, why... Did someone punch you in the nuts why right before you, they took this so picture? Mad. Like, yeah. did, did your favorite uh, football team lose the big game right before they snapped this? So I need other people to choose my pictures for me. I will also say, though, everybody thinks it's fun to make fun of everybody's author photo. It is fun. Until they have to take one. Yeah, no, that's true, I'm sure. Uh, We're we moving should... house, is what I'm trying to say. My wife and I are moving our house. I'm, I come before you essentially homeless. And as viewers of the live stream will no doubt have noticed by now, very different setup from usual. We're over here at my house, which means it's where you can see in the background. Uh, you can see an impromptu art wall that has sprung up over there. Again, I think I've mentioned this before. Worst thing to happen around here when my oldest daughter figured out where we keep the tape, how to okay. work the tape dispenser. Yeah. Because a lot of unauthorized artwork has gone up on the walls. And, you know, not all of it is wall worthy. I'll just say it. At least they're keeping it to the walls. Over at my house, my kids uh, just started taping it up on the glass doorway, like the back, yeah. the door to the back deck. Yeah. When we were moving, you don't need to see out that. We, we took all the pa- we took all their artwork down when we were moving, and like the last day we were in our house, I was like, you know what? That's a beautiful door. We have a nice view out that door. It's nice to see it once <laughs> in the last five years. Well, yeah, so here we are. we're a little cramped. Hopefully this doesn't affect our, our ability to discuss mixed rules fighting too much. We're also uh, sitting right across the table from each other, yeah, staring weird. into each other's eyes. It's weird. Yeah, it's yeah, very weird. Not, I'm uncomfortable with that. Uh, also, though, to just kind of channel our energy, our pterodactyl, we've got the uh, the CMEs. Let's go ahead and refer to this as our, our mascot, this pterodactyl. Spirit that's animal? How, yeah, it's kind of how I think... That's how, like, I feel like we approach podcasting as, like, a pterodactyl. We got that pterodactyl energy. What would a pterodactyl do? Remember, ah! if, you wanna, if you wanna support the show, we got cowboy astronaut cigarettes t shirts and Dundasso t shirts available all the time on demand whenever you want them over at cottonbureau.com. Just go over to cottonbureau.com today and pick yourself up some CME merchandise. We got music again this week from our longtime listener and friend, Ras Jarborg. If you like what you hear from him on the show, you can check out more over at his SoundCloud, which is soundcloud.com slash S-T-H-L-M Ross. Stockholm Ross. Stockholm Ross. We learned that that is, a, uh, that is an abbreviation for three rounds as usual this week in the co-main event podcast. In round number one, the cowboy might be aging, but if Donald Cerrone is getting into his unforgiven years... That could be trouble for a few people at 155 pounds. And in round number two, is the way forward at lightweight as obvious as it has been in months? Will the UFC actually do it? And in round number three, no, your eyes are not deceiving you. Champion Rose Namajunas is an underdog to challenger Jessica Andrade this weekend at UFC 237. What's really going on with that? All that plus are you fucking kidding me and just saying stuff. But first, like we always do about this time... Let's do a little bit of listener mail. Listener mail. There's a there's an awesome hummingbird outside right behind your head. Look, there it, oh, there it goes. 
It's majestic. That's a great audio. You, you missed it. It's like you should have a bird watching podcast. You you were experiencing this the same way the listener would. And you just have to imagine what the hummingbird looked like because it's gone now. Speaking you, of experiencing this, I took all these notes super late at night last night. I noticed that. As I, I mentioned, yeah. from my parents' house where I slept in the world's most uncomfortable bed. So it's kind of like I'm going through this for the first time. Okay. I'm sight reading all of this for the very first time, which uh, it makes the show more exciting for me. I don't know how it's going to come off for the listener. You know, I'm, I'm. let's just go with it. First piece of listener mail this week comes to us from Dolby Dennis, who writes, Guys, can you talk about Raymond Daniels' crazy spinning KO from Bellator over the weekend? Is knockout of the year already wrapped up? So this was crazy. That was. This guy, uh, Raymond Daniels, goes out there. Who's he fighting? Who's his opponent? Do we have a name? Does it yes. matter? Yeah. I forget the guy's name. Right? I know the guy was making his pro debut, though. Okay, so, so. just someone Raymond Daniels is going to go out there and get some good rounds from. Some well, good work. Raymond Daniels, I believe, had one fight in Strike Force like 10 years ago and then was kind of gone out the game and then shows up back. I think it's only his second pro fight. But the other guy, yeah, making his debut. And, man... Imagine you go out there and this happens to you in your pro debut. He gets this. See, that's what I've always been saying. I've always said this, that the number one thing I would be terrified of if I were a regional MMA fighter, a ham and egger, a weekend warrior, just out there duffing around, trying to get some work in, trying to have a little fun uh, on my days off from UPS, going out there uh, to, to get into MMA fights. My worry would be that you would be one of these dudes that shows up on a regional show and they're like, oh, yeah, man, you're, you're, you're fighting a guy who only has three fights, too. His name's Jonathan Dwight Jones. I think you're going to do just <laughs> fine against him. And then you're one of these guys who winds up on John Jones's highlight reel where he, like, does the outside leg sweep and elbows your face into the back of your head. Imagine what you have to do with the rest of your career in order to live this one down. Like, you got to win, I'm going to say, at least three titles in three different weight classes. At least. And then maybe they'll stop. You also, it might help if you could kill a man. If you could murder a man in the cage, then maybe they would stop talking about when this happened to you. I like, if you watch this thing in slow motion, because Raymond Daniels, he lands the spinning back kick. Right. He puts the other guy down on his butt. And he's clearly then gauging the distance when he gets up. He goes, he does like a 720 spin, right? Like a kind of like a, a jumping double spin kind of. And then he lands this right hook out of the out of his back pocket that just knocks a guy unconscious. If you watch it in slow motion, you can see him do like the 720 spin. And then he lands in front of the guy and it's like, he takes a split second to be like, is this really going to work? And then he throws the right hand. <laughs> well, it looks like he's set up to do one of those kicks, right? Like where he's going to do some crazy spin kick. And you know it's probably not going to work, but it's going to look cool. And the crowd's going to ooh and ah. And then he kind of correctly gauges, I think, and he talked about it afterwards, that the kick wasn't really there. The, the range wasn't really there. He said he was trying to figure it out because he's like, hey, I haven't backed up against the fence. He can't go anywhere from here. And he felt like you know, he leaned into the fence just enough that it would put him out of the range of the kick. But then you come down, and he's not expecting the right hand to come out of all that. And so he he then lands that right hand right on the button, knocks him out cold. I believe tapology lists the method of victory as 720 right hook. Which, imagine you you didn't see the fight. Months later, you're going back, you're doing some research on Raymond Daniels or whatever, and you look up his record and you see 720 right hook as the method of victory. You'd be like, what? Is something broken on this website? Is, there, like, is this a coding error? What the hell could that possibly mean? Yeah, you no would one's... never guess that it meant he jumped up, spun around a bunch of times, and then landed a right hook when he landed. No one's going to know what that means. To his credit, after he does knock the guy out cold with that punch, Raymond Daniels walks away like he does that every day. Yeah, like he'd been there before. Like he's just, oh, another hole in one? I always hit a hole in one on this particular <laughs> hole. No big deal. Just yeah. like walks away. Yeah. And that wasn't the only crazy finish from Bellator over there in Birmingham. Over the weekend, right? Wasn't there like a Go-Go Plata Brent, submission? Brent, your boy Brent Primus got a Go-Go Plata there in the main event. I mean, that's as good as you can hope for if you're Bellator and you're basically just treading water, doing an event over there in Birmingham, England, uh, not expecting too many people to tune in to watch. The best you can hope for are some Instagram highlights. Yeah, absolutely. Kind of harkens back to the old days of Bellator, like the very beginning of Bellator. Remember that? When it was on ESPN Deportes and it was all tournaments all the time. And that was... How it kind of got on the map at first was getting these highlight reel finishes that people will share. Then remember the the reverse triangle choke that uh, Toby Amata got? Yeah. Did, didn't he get that on Jorge Masvidal? Am I making Whoa. that part up? That could be. I don't know. I don't remember for sure. But there was that and there was a few cool uh, 
unusual finishes that got people's attention, got people sharing those YouTube clips and everything. And it was like, oh, hey, okay, this Bellator thing is worth keeping an eye on. So, like, yeah, you can't really plan for those. I mean, maybe matchmaking-wise, you can put yourself in a good position where something like that could happen. Yeah. Maybe you get a guy making his pro debut. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Next question this week comes to us from Andy Anderson, who writes, the Scott Coker strategy, parenthetically, just stay around and be ready, worked for Stipe. And then he notes, shout Stipe here. Stipe! Stipe! Does he do any better in August, or is DC the greatest heavyweight ever? Now, we talked about this a little bit on the Friday Power Hour, Ben. It seems Brock Lesnar has been ruled out, quote-unquote, retired, in the words of Dana White, not necessarily in the words of anyone else, but, quote-unquote, retired. We're going to go ahead, we're going to do Stipe Miocic against Daniel Cormier this summer, though DC was on Helwani's show today and said that he hasn't signed his bout agreement yet. So there's still some wiggle room here, still mm-hmm. some things at play, but we think that's the fight we're going to get. Stipe Miocic in a rematch against Daniel Cormier. And we also commented, this seems like the one time that sitting out and refusing to take a fight is going to work out for Stipe Miocic, the Scott Coker strategy, as Andy Anderson points out here. I guess question number one, are we all okay that Stipe Miocic essentially gets rewarded, gets another title shot here by choosing not to fight until uh, the heavyweight carousel came around to a way that was in his liking, and B, to his question, do we expect a different result in this rematch than we got the first time around? Well, I was actually working on a column about this earlier, about how if you ignore all the particulars about how and why this rematch came to be, it is a really logical fight to put together. Because Stipe was, statistically, the most dominant heavyweight champion in UFC history. He loses via knockout. A rematch is not so out of the question. It is weird to have the champion fight between them. He goes out there and fights the that Derek Lewis title defense, which, as when we were talking about it last week, was very easy to just forget had even happened. Yeah. And Stipe does not fight at all, except to try to get on Twitter over and over again and get something on the books. That's all he's been doing. Yeah. And... If you ignore that it's all basically just because we couldn't get Brock Lesnar, we wanted him, we couldn't get him, and it's like the UFC kind of, in an accidental way, ends up with a more competitively defensible matchup than the one it wanted. Yeah, and if the basically question is... it wasn't willing to pay for the other one. If the question is, does Stipe do any better in August against Daniel Cormier... Stipe Miocic could absolutely win the fight against yeah. Daniel Cormier in August. You'll recall, he appeared to be winning it right up to the point that he lost, and Daniel Cormier knocked him out in the first fight. Like Also if, got poked in the eye. He also got poked in the eye, just a little bit of quality Dundasso out there. Just That's usually part and parcel with your UFC uh, title defense. If you told me Miocic goes out there and over the course of five rounds is just kind of too big for Daniel Cormier and ends up imposing his will and he gets his title back, I, would be, I wouldn't be surprised. I would also be, would you not, just a hair disappointed. That like this is, especially if like, if you think about this, as to whether or not this is Daniel Cormier's last fight. Yeah. If this is DC's last fight and like he essentially loses the title back to the guy that he won it from at heavyweight, I'll be a little bit, there will be a twinge of uh, melancholy there for me. Yeah, there's not a whole lot here for Daniel Cormier, just regardless. Because if he beats Stipe again, it's like, okay, well, we already knew it. You could beat the guy. You just proved it, I guess. But is that really the one you go out on? It's not quite the big, huge fireworks at the end of the career kind of thing. It's not the freeze frame moment for Daniel Cormier beating Stipe a second time. I do wonder though, because the nature of the victory the first time, it was a brilliant bit of like game planning by Daniel Cormier. He's he, from the very beginning, he is basically getting Stipe to expect a certain thing out of that clinch game. And then he changes it up on him, like gets him to like be thinking about this clinch and about where you want to be positioning your arms. And then it's like, surprise, I'm not doing the clinch anymore. I'm just punching you in the fucking face. And it works. It totally works. And yet it's that same exact thing is going to work a second time. You would think you need to come up with a, another tricky, brilliant game plan. Yeah. Or you need to just rely on that. You're going to go out there and you're going to figure it out on the fly and be the better fighter. Yeah. But I don't know. That does make me curious to see, like, okay, now that Stipe has seen that trick, do you have another one? Can you beat him without a trick? I'm I'm curious to see how that fight unfolds. I I, I absolutely give him a chance to win that fight. Yeah, no, I agree with you. And if you listen to the, I think it was the Dominic Cruz breakdown of that fight, it really gets to the heart of, like, how 
uh, shrewd it was on the part of Daniel Cormier that he noticed that Stipe Miocic had this flaw where he dropped his hands when he backed out of the clinch. So Cormier essentially baited Miocic into thinking that he could beat DC in the clinch and then knocked him out, yeah. which is has some high-level stuff right there. Well, I mean, I guess kind of similar to John Jones noticing Daniel Cormier dipping his head off to the side and then kicking him upside his head. Indeed. Next question this week comes to us from Dak Wasson, who writes, If Aldo gets by Volkanovski next weekend, does that mean that we're finally going to see Frankie get his shot at max? So we went uh, one names on yeah. all these guys. Like yeah. Madonna is fighting Cher this weekend. We know who we're talking about. This UFC 237 card is not the greatest. I'm just going to throw that out there. I think Nama Yunus versus Andrade is a good fight. But, you know, you get down into uh, Anderson Silver versus Jared Cannonier and Alexander Volkanovsky versus Jose Aldo, especially at featherweight. Like, if that's a really good fight. I don't know that it's a fight that is going to get uh, the people to lay down their hard-earned cash. Yeah, it is a good fight that has a lot of relevance for the featherweight division, which is an exciting division right now. I mean, Alexander Volkanovsky... That guy's a lot of fun to watch. I'm interested to see how he does against a guy like Jose Aldo. Because still, you know, Jose Aldo, he's reminded us recently that he's still in this. Yeah. He, he's not washed up yet. If Alexander Volkanovsky goes out there and beats him, I think, man, you definitely deserve a title shot next. Uh, but I don't know. For me, featherweight is a little bit right now uh, to be determined. You know, you had Max Holloway go up there, fight... Dustin Poirier, he loses that fight. He comes. I guess you assume that he's going to come back to featherweight and and do it there. But if anybody is telling me right now that they know exactly what fight is going to mean what for the top of the featherweight division, you're lying. You're just guessing. Like nobody knows for sure what's going to happen there. Yeah, it's a free for all right now. Uh, to the point that is actually the question that is actually asked here: Frankie Edgar, is that what we're talking about versus Max Holloway? You know another Frankie in the featherweight division? Well, no. If, if anybody in this email deserves to be denoted by one name, it's Frankie. It's the old man, Frankie Edgar. But you just mentioned that featherweight is kind of interesting and exciting right now, right? You got Jose Aldo, who's a little bit resurgent. Of course, Brian Ortega just lost to Max Holloway, but is still, you know, an interesting character in that division. You got dudes like Volkanovski creeping on a come up. Uh, Hanato Moikano is about to be in a main event. You got, of course, the beast to beat Magomed Sharapov, who is on his way up. Would the quickest way to kind of make you sigh and roll your eyes, would would it be to book Frankie Edgar another UFC title shot? Because I love Frankie Edgar. He has gotten a lot of them. But he's gotten his fair share. We are verging into Uriah Faber territory here. Ooh, okay. Yeah, well, except that. I mean, he has been the champion. So Check the record, bud. Check the record. <laughs> and he, I, you're right. I mean, he had that loss to Brian Ortega, and then he had the one win over Cub Swanson, like, you know, a little bit over a year ago now. I, I guess you could look back on that one and be like, the UFC might feel like they owe Frankie Edgar one after that Brian Ortega fight. Because it was, even Brian Ortega was saying it afterwards, like, hey man, there was nothing really for him to gain here. You know, Max Holloway was saying that same thing. Like, he he went ahead with that fight, even though knowing it was kind of a bad deal for him in a lot of ways. And so maybe the UFC's like, well, all right. Frankie's not going to be around too much longer. Let's give him a shot at somebody who is not Jose Aldo. Let's let him have an opportunity there. I wouldn't get upset about a Frankie Edgar title fight. I like watching Frankie Edgar fight. I don't think that he goes out there and beats Max Holloway right now. Yeah, but probably not. But who does? Maybe Alexander Volkanovsky? Maybe. I don't maybe. know. This will be a big test for Alexander Volkanovsky to go out there against Jose Aldo. I was surprised to see Aldo a little bit of a betting favorite in that one. But I, I got excited about Alexander Volkanovsky. I can't tell yet if I'm prematurely excited about him, though. I'm going to ask this next question, and then I'm going to follow it up with uh, with my over-under for you regarding the UFC 237 card. You ready? Okay. This one from our old pal, the Cheeseburger Wallace. Oh, always good to hear from the Cheeseburger Wallace. He writes, how much longer will we accept Anderson Silva as a viable main event slash co-main event guy? He's co-main of UFC 237 versus Cannoneer, and I just realized that fight does nothing for me. Like, I could care less. It's on the card. Do you feel the same way? Discourse. So... I think that there's one question to be asked here about the the uh, viability of Anderson Silva, what role he currently occupies in this middleweight division, and whether or not this this matchup with Jared Cannonier does anything for you. And then my over-under, 
over under of number of Brazilian legends we see retire at UFC 237 over under one. You mean retire like in the cage? Yes, because look at this. You got Anderson Silva fighting Jared Cannonier. You got Jose Aldo has already said he's he's thinking about walking away. He considers himself in the twilight here against Alexander Volkanovsky. You got Tiago Alves, who we don't think he's going to walk away, but he's at the stage where like anything could happen. You got uh, Roger Nog on this card. You do have Roger Nog on this card. Wow, that one really escaped my notice. And then, you know, maybe... I'll throw BJ Penn on there too, even though he's not Brazilian. Not even Hawaiian. Close. Hawaiian. That completely different thing. You could see some retirements, though, is what I'm trying to say. Okay, well, then I have Over to wonder. Over under, does someone retire on this card? One. Let's say Tiago Alves goes out there, gets stopped, gets stopped bad, and then it's like, okay, that's it. I'm done. If then Jose Aldo comes out in the very next fight, and he loses. Does he go, well, I can't retire. Now, Chaga already did that. Yeah. It's like he stole my material. Yeah. I think it would be unusual to see more than one in-cage retirement. That's true. Maybe my over-under is flawed. <laughs> I, I mean, I see what you're saying. You think if Betch Cohea walks away, if she gets beat by Irene Aldana, and she's like, that's it, I'm done, that... Uh, Will anybody notice? Anderson Silva's going to be like, well, now I can't do it. <laughs> Betch upstaged me, man. I can't, I can't go out there now. I mean, okay, first of all, I totally agree with the cheeseburger walrus. This fight does nothing for me. It's a Jared, weird one, right? It is a Even weird one. Even considering where Anderson Silva is at right now, right. it's weird. And yeah, Jared Kennedy versus Anderson Silva as your co-main, nah, no. I'm not really excited. About, I'm more excited about Jose Aldo and Alexander Volkanovsky by a long shot than I am about this. And it is a fair question to be like, okay, Anderson Silva clearly does not have the same juice he used to. He doesn't have that anymore. He can still do some some fun stuff every once in a while. He was he acquitted himself better than I expected in that Israel Adesanya fight. But I do wonder, is that what we're doing now? Like, are we being impressed that Anderson Silva is not completely decrepit and broken down? Like, are we just going to be amazed? Like, hey, thanks for showing up, man. Well, that seems to be the point here, right? Like, this isn't a this isn't a fight to boost Jared Cannonier into the main event slot. You're talking about a 35 year old guy. The killer gorilla, BT dubs. He's two and three in his last five fights. Like, this is a fight where we're trying to get Anderson Silva a win, is it not? Well, and we're trying to put him on the co-main event of a card down there in Rio because he's going to help you get some local excitement, I guess. But, yeah, for me, the point when Anderson Silva in the main or co-main gets me excited is already passed. And it's probably not coming back. So, yeah, I'm with the cheeseburger walrus. Last question this week comes to us from... Which, that's a bumper sticker, by the way, that I'm planning on selling. On I'm, with the I'm with the walrus. cheeseburger walrus. Good luck to you guys on your uh, on your endeavors there. Yeah. Your new yeah. business endeavors. We'll let you know how it goes. This question from Alfredo M. Can we discuss the so-called great Andy Foster and his California State Athletic Commission? What the feck is going on over there? The apparent standard bearer of commissions is walking a tight line these days. What with completely dismissing Rory McDonald's medical suspension, not to mention likely not even considering his mental state coming from his fight with John Fitch. Also, we're not too far out from him clearing Chuck Liddell to fight Tito Ortiz 10 years since he was last cleared to fight. There was the very fast decision to accept John Jones and a full UFC card at, uh, I'm sorry, a full UFC card. Uh, at late notice to bypass a doping issue amongst other questionable decisions lately. Is this really what we should expect from any commission, let alone the standard bearer? Really? No, those are all fair points. Yeah. It is a little bit interesting because I think, you know, previous to this run, we thought of the California state athletic commission as one of the more conservative athletic commissions, like one of the more, uh, studious and like maybe sober minded athletic commissions. Yeah. And they have done some things that I think are a good step in like the right direction that other commissions aren't doing, like trying to actually study and look at certain judges' histories and seeing you know if you should be using some of these judges over and over again, actually doing some kind of analysis to decide like are these people doing a good job or they just keep getting called to do it because that's who we have on our rolodex like I think that the California Commission has done some good things there and trying to do something about weight cutting. I, I mean, all these are fair points. They're also, though, pretty standard stuff that you would expect to see any athletic commission doing. I, I mean... Yeah, none of this is stuff that you're going to stop the presses over it, right? Especially right. with Rory McDonald's medical suspension. And, like, we've just come at this point to accept the fact that if a UFC card is going to roll into your uh, into your state, 
the athletic commission is going to be somewhat pliable. Right. And I, I mean, some of this, I think, just highlights how the whole state athletic commission system is problematic to begin with. Yeah. Like having these just independently operated organizations where they have a vested interest in seeing these fights go on. They want to maintain good relations with the promoters so that the promoters will bring the events and the money into their state. And it's it's not a setup that is going to encourage anybody to be drawn a bunch of hard red lines across things like, hey, these medical suspensions are for real or no, we're not going to accept this guy or we're not going to license this guy. We're not going to accept your late notice uh, event moving around. Like the whole system is just not built to encourage that kind of behavior from anybody. Yeah. And so I, I do agree that maybe it's worth taking a look at cumulatively a lot of this stuff and being like, is has California, has that commission just become uh, a rubber stamp for any fight promoter? Uh, that's a fair question. I, I don't know the answer though. I mean, because I, especially, I mean, the Chuck Liddell Tito Ortiz one, do you think Chuck Liddell should not have been licensed to fight? I mean, it's easy to see it now. And go, well, he looked awful. He was super old. But on what grounds would you have said no to him? Like just yeah. age? Yeah, I mean, you're right. Hindsight is, hindsight is twenty twenty in that one. Uh, the only thing I would say is that, the, like you said, the shadow boxing, the scenes of Chuck Liddell hitting the heavy bag that we saw. Right, but can you imagine a commission going and be like, hey, man, we saw you in the gym. And nope. Nah, we decided you're I can imagine if, you're, if a commission is really doing the job it's supposed to do, I can imagine them coming down there and being like, hey, we need to take a closer look at this. How about this? Andy Foster himself, former MMA fighter, had some pro fights. How about Andy Foster bites down on his mouthpiece? Puts on the gloves. He gets in there and he spars with you, and then he makes the call. You have to be able to beat Andy Foster to fight in California, right? I like it. There's a, a certain uh, beauty to it. Yeah. You think you're good enough to fight in the state of California? Prove it. Get in there with Andy Foster. Try think, to break his jaw. Do you think part see of if it, you can do it? Do you think part of it was them being like, "Well, he's not going to get hurt that bad against Tito Ortiz"? <laughs> I think a lot of it, honestly, is just. On what grounds do you say no? Like, yeah. we just think you're too old. You look too bad. But isn't that like, in theory, isn't that what the State Athletic Commission is there for? If they can deny your, your license for any reason they want, I would think. Right. But do you want to have something to point to? Because otherwise, then you're setting yourself a, a troubling precedent. If you're just like, you, you look garbage in training. Or you like, don't pass the eye test. <laughs> Take a hike. Take it over to Texas, Chuck. I'm sure you can get sanctioned over there. And see, that is another aspect of the the whole state athletic commission system because it's like if you're California, you probably are telling yourself, well, hey, if we don't license this fight, somebody else will. Live from the Alamo. Yeah, they'll go somewhere else. I'm not really doing anything except making sure that money doesn't come to my state. And maybe that is not something I will be rewarded for. In any case, that's going to do it for Listener Mail this week. If you have questions, comments, concerns that you would like to air to the co-main event event podcast in future weeks – you know how to do it. You go to the website, comainevent.com, and click the link in the top right-hand corner of the screen that says email the podcast. That'll get you in touch with us. While you're there, you can sign up for the Breakfast of Champions newsletter that comes out every Friday morning to catch you up on the news and notes that we miss on all the days that we're not recording the podcast. Stuff always happens. News always breaks. The newsletter itself is short. It's informative. We would love to tell you it's funny. And if you don't like it, it's really easy to unsubscribe. Hey, are you down with the co-main event podcast Patreon? If you're not, the obvious question is, what is wrong with you? What is wrong with you? Tons of good content over there every week. Not only do you get the co-main event podcast for free, but you get the Friday Power Hour podcast, which is a full additional extra hour of me and Ben just yammering at each other. Plus you get the Wednesday live chat, which is a lot of fun. It's a damn free-for-all in the live chat, Chad. Anything can happen Anything over there. Anything can and often does happen on the live chat. Plus you get to see our faces if you're interested in that. Why wouldn't you be interested in that? And then over the last month or so, people have been able to track the products or the process of my move. Yeah. They've been able to see the backdrop of the live stream get bleaker and bleaker as stuff got moved out. See, I think we take this week's live stream down to a local casino. I mean, this would be the week to do it. Yeah. Maybe take some of that Patreon money, see if we can't parlay it. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah, that's you don't want to say that out loud on the show. We are gonna gamble away your money irresponsibly. <laughs> oh see, crap, did I just did I just ruin the whole thing? We're recording right now. Ah, damn it. Do you wanna give Ben folks some money to gamble away irresponsibly? If you do, go over to patreon.com slash co main event and sign up. How about this? I'll cut you in on the proceeds, maybe. No, yeah. I won't. I no, won't do he's that. not gonna do that. Uh, we're gonna go ahead and get started with round number one. 
right now. Anthony Cerrone is 36 years old. He has procreated. He's running around last week with Daxon Danger Cerrone in his arms. We found out, perhaps most surprisingly, during the lead-up to this fight against Ally Aquinta, that Cerrone is all but married to a doctor. Lindsay is longtime partner. She's studying to be a doctor, to which you and I both asked on the uh, Power Hour or the live chat last week, how? How does Donald Cerrone uh, roll with a doctor? He's got it figured out, man. Also, I loved how he, the way he phrased it, I believe, was how she's in school to be a doctor. And it was like, you, so you mean she's in medical school? Like, the way you phrase it sounds like, like, oh, yeah, like what's your what's your cousin up to oh you know like he's uh he's going through vocational school to be an electrician or something. oh cool cool what about uh you know your wife oh yeah well she's in school to be a doctor yeah do you think maybe she just told him <laughs> she was in school to be a doctor because it doesn't sound like maybe he asked too many follow-up questions like what do you do oh i'm in school what for to be a doctor i'm gonna be a, what sounds cool doctor cool i'm the lead cowpoke over at the bmf ranch <laughs> want to have a baby <laughs> That's how that goes, right? I mean, I think they're really well positioned here because you're a pro fighter. You got flexible work hours, right? So it makes sense. He can be making a lot of money now while she's in school. She's got a really stressful schedule. They have the baby. He can kind of keep the baby with him at the gym. Uh, that's one of the things that you can do when you're a pro fighter. It's not like anybody's, you know, you're not in an office where people are like, hey, you can't bring your baby in here. And then as his career starts to naturally wind down, as it will eventually, one assumes, then she'll be a doctor making a whole bunch of money and uh, they won't have to worry about it. It does make it seem like Donald Cerrone has this planned out in a way far more uh, perhaps pragmatic and realistic than we had thought. What do you think though, she, like her coworkers are going to think when they're like, Oh, what is, what does your husband do? Well, he's a professional cage fighter and the the doctors are probably going to have some opinions on that. Yeah, and then that, that may well be true. That may well be true. Also, I would How do you say think they met. Plenty of fish. Twitter. Tinder. Okay. Also, man, if you're Donald Cerrone, you got to get married to a doctor, right? Like you can't <laughs> yeah, just don't let, let this that one get away, man. Out, like, yeah. You don't want to be like out we're on keeping an informal it casual, agreement. No. Yeah. No, we need to put this one on paper. Anyway, the Cowboy goes out there. Unanimous decision win over Ally Quinta. I believe Donald Cerrone came in as the slight underdog here. He's won three in a row now. Mike Perry, Alexander Hernandez, and Ally Quinta. Uh, ben, this was a vintage Cowboy performance here over the course of 25 minutes because he started out a little slow. It took him a little time to gauge what was going on with Ally Quinta. But then when he did kind of figure it out and was able to turn on the jets, he just pours on the damage in like kind of a sneaky way at times. Like you, when you watch Don Cerrone, it doesn't necessarily look like he is trying to take your head off at all times. And all, then all of a sudden, oh, he just front kicked Ally Quinta in the face yeah. and knocked him down. Well, I think that it was interesting to me to hear his comments afterwards about starting slow and saying like he really wasn't feeling it on this one. And we've talked about that before and he is well aware of it. He even mentioned it like, you know, people ask, what, which cowboy are you going to get? And this was one of those nights where it didn't feel like warming up, didn't feel like hitting the pads, didn't feel like going out there and fighting, and not until, like, the middle of the second round where I was like, okay, I'm into it now, here we go. And he attributed, basically, his experience now. He's had so many damn fights and so many of them at the highest level that he could figure out, like, even when I'm not at my best, I can still pull it together and get it done against a really good opponent. Yeah. And that that was really interesting to me because... That's kind of been the knock on him, right? That Donald Cerrone is going to do it a whole bunch. And he's going to do it really well. But some nights he shows up and it seems like he just doesn't have it. Yeah. And he's had those nights every once in a while. And sometimes at really inopportune moments. And you attribute it, maybe it's that he fights so damn much and that he's burning himself out. Or maybe just like mentally he can't always get it together. He's been very open about like the mental struggles yeah. he goes through leading up to a fight. And to hear him basically be like, I've got enough experience. I was able to kind of figure it out this time. 
that to me was very encouraging because man, a Donald Cerrone who can figure out that piece of it, that's a that's a tough guy to deal with. Yeah, and it's also kind of like John Jones saying that he's just now starting to get feel like he's got his legs under him as a UFC fighter. Man, Donald Cerrone is fifty fights deep in this thing, and now he's like, oh, I I, I can finally hand, handle the nerves of fight week. Yeah, and handle I know what to do when I go in there and I feel like it's not my best night. He's a, like the old cowboy would have quit in there feeling the way I was feeling. And the thing against Al here, he just had more weapons. Yeah. He just had more stuff that he could do. Whereas Al Iaquinto, he's got to try to kind of dive in there close and try to land that right-hand bomb. And he landed it a few times, yeah. and Cerrone just basically looked at him. Man, there is such a utilitarian beauty to the way Cowboy Cerrone fights. Because he's not Anthony Pettis. He's not going to jump off the cage. He's not going to do a bunch of spinning stuff. He's not, you know, Zabit Magomad Shiripov. Uh, he's not even really John Jones, but he's just going to sting you with the leg kick, sting you with the body kick, sting you with primarily straight punches. He'll come back with, you know, some counter hooks from time to time, but like there's no wind up, there's no warning, really. He's just going to uh, uh, lash you with these just like very straightforward and technically very perfect strikes. And to me, it's kind of a joy to watch, just especially in a fight like this where he starts a little slow. And then by the time, you know, he takes over midway through the second or really into the third round when he drops I Clinton near the end of that round, uh, like it's just kind of like a snowball. Yeah. You can see, well, you, in this fight, you started to see Ally Quinta get bloody. Yeah. And then you were kind of like, oh, like the cowboy is coming on here. Like he yeah, might if, win this. I think if, if that were most other people, he would have finished that fight. But it's Al's hard to believe hell, that I Quinta got up and was, you know, uh, vertical and taking nourishment after he got kicked in the face like that. Well, he, <laughs> taking nourishment, that's a good way. But uh, he's not a guy who gets finished. I mean, he went in there and went five rounds with Khabib. So we already know that he's a tough dude. What's interesting to me, though, is we talked a little bit about beforehand, maybe on the Power Hour, about how it seemed like for a while there, the UFC was matching Donald Cerrone up with people it wanted to turn into a thing. Like right. Mike Perry, you know, Alexander Hernandez. Now you get Ally Quinton. It felt like we were maybe done doing that. Maybe we were just giving him other people who were relevant in the division in a matchup that seemed like it was going to make for a good time. And we're going to let the chips fall where they may. And then he comes out there and he wins it and wins it in an impressive fashion. And now he's talking about what he wants next, where he's saying title shot. Or Conor McGregor even went so far as to say if he did not get a title shot, he would be, quote, thoroughly disappointed, yeah. which that's some real dad shit right there by by Donald Cerrone. Yeah, when, he's not mad. He's disappointed. That's actually pretty scary. <laughs> like, it's more scary than him being like, I'd be so fucking pissed. Yeah. Him saying I'm thoroughly disappointed. I'm like, oh, I don't want to disappoint Donald Cerrone. No, exactly. And I think in round two, we'll, we'll plot out what is likely next for the 155-pound division. Before we do that, though, I wanted to spend at least a couple minutes talking about raging with a G, Al Iaquinta here. Don't forget here. that G. He's one and two in his last three fights. But one of those losses is to Habib Nurmagomedov. Where he had to have a short notice switch of opponents. And the other is this one against Don Cerrone, where I think he, you know, acquitted himself as well as you could in a losing effort. Previous to that, he had five straight wins. And then, of course, uh, the win over Kevin Lee in December of 2018. This is a guy who has had his squabbles with the UFC. He's a guy who needs to get paid a lot of money if he's going to come fight in the cage. Otherwise, he'll stay home and sell real estate. What do we think about Al Iaquinta now moving forward in this division? How does he fit in, if at all? Yeah, I mean, I still think that there's a lot you can do with Al Iaquinta. He's an exciting fighter to watch. He, he's an exciting personality to have around. I do think, though, that maybe it's that you have so much success charging straight in and landing that right hand. You start to think you can do it against everybody. He needs a little bit more to the game than yeah. that. I mean, yeah. I, I think his his fight with Kevin Lee, I thought, was a, a good example of how he could dig deep and figure out a way to beat somebody as the fight went on. And he wasn't able to get it done here. I think that you need more stuff that you can threaten people with. And maybe you need to be a little less predictable. I mean, you heard them in the corner and Donald Cerrone's corner at one point being like, yeah, this is what we knew he was going to do, right? He just wants to come forward and land that right hand, just throw that bomb. This is what we expected. And yeah, I mean, that's if I were training somebody to fight Ally Akinta, that's what I would tell him to expect too. And it, the lightweight division right now is just so tough that you can only get so far with that. Yeah. 
All right, let's do Are You Fucking Kidding Me? And then we'll move on to round number two this week. Ben, we have talked a lot about Conor McGregor being aggressively online. Wait, hold on. Are we going to do the same Are You Fucking Kidding Me again? I don't know. Are we? I think we are. Because I, I, sent, you, are. I sent you a textual message about this. <laughs> yes, I sent you one back. Yeah. So Conor McGregor, <laughs> like we don't know exactly what's going on with him right now. No. But we can infer that it's a lot of sitting around. Uh, apparently watching UFC broadcasts and being... He never misses a UFC event these days. Being online Watches during the UFC broadcast. Than Dana White does, it seems. How about Conor McGregor pretty much retweeting everybody, everybody and anybody who sent him a tweet mentioning Proper 12 or with a picture of Proper 12, Conor McGregor's going to retweet that during the UFC event. Are you fucking kidding me? Here's what I want to know. What wouldn't he retweet? If you posted it with a picture of you on Twitter with the bottle of the proper 12. Like, if you're like, you know what? Was ordered to go to rehab, but fuck that. That shit sucks. I'm going to hang out here with a bottle of the proper 12. Hashtag champ champ shit. Like, is Conor McGregor retweeting that? Because I think he is. If the top is down on the convertible and you're driving, taking the selfie with one hand with a big bottle of proper 12 in the other hand... And the, the message is like, just got my license suspended, not supposed to be driving, but here I am, headed down the freeway, drinking my proper 12. Is Conor McGregor going to retweet it with like, looks like a nice night for a drive, commenters. <laughs> yeah. like, That's basically what he's doing here, right? Maybe this should be our goal, is we should try to get progressively more and more ridiculous with tweets featuring us holding the bottle of the proper 12, just to see where the line is. See how far you can push it. Yeah, see what he's unwilling to retweet. Yeah. Just be like, headed out for some revenge against my best friend who ran off with my wife. Going to be fueled by the proper 12. And he's going to be like, yeah, retweet. Go get him, man. That's right. So we did. We had the same, are you fucking kidding me? Are you fucking kidding me? It doesn't happen all the time, but it, it happens sometimes. Also, you, I sent you a text message and you stole it and made it your, are you, you fucking You did me? not even reply to my, my hilarious asides in response to your text messages. I feel like you kind of, you, you no sold that. I've been moving, man. You got time to send the initial message. I got stuff going on. You don't have that much stuff. That's going to do it for round number one. We'll be right back with round number two. Chad, we have some interesting times going on right now in the 155-pound division in the UFC because, as we all know, Khabib Nurmagomedov, your champion, has been sitting around for a little while dealing with that suspension, but it sounds like he is ready to come off of it with a bang, at least according to his manager, Ali Abdelaziz, wants to hurry up and fight like three times over the next year. He can come off and fight in September, I think is the plan for him and Dustin Poirier, perhaps, uh, then maybe one more. They mentioned the possibility of if George St. Pierre can get his stuff figured out with the UFC by April, they'd like to do that one. If not, they'll just take another contender in line. And it looks like you're going to have no shortage of contenders. I mean, you've got, of course, the possibility of a big money rematch with Conor McGregor, who so far has done nothing except retweet a bunch to in order to make his case that he deserves it. But then you have all these other guys. You got guys like Donald Cerrone. You got guys like Justin Gaethje who are interesting people in the division. You know, you got a lot of interesting lightweights all trying to make their case in their own ways. And it seems like you could almost, almost not fuck this up. Like I can almost not envision a scenario where you put together any two of these top lightweights and it's not a really awesome fight. Yeah. And not only that, but am I wrong to say that? The way forward seems incredibly obvious right now. You got Don Cerrone out there, wins this fight over Ally Quinto over the weekend, and he says he wants a title shot unless he gets to fight Conor McGregor. You also have an interim champion in Dustin Poirier. Is it too obvious to say what you do here is you have Habib have a unification fight with Dustin Poirier, and you have... Connor Anthony McGregor fight Donald Anthony Cerrone, and the winner of that fights the winner of the Poirier uh, Nurmagomedov fight. Because like, hold on, hold I'm not on. a professional matchmaker, but it seems like that is kind of there right now. Why are you 
with all your knowledge of this sport and how it works, just going to sit there and act like you can just sign up Conor McGregor for a fight just like that? Well, it seemed like they were going to do it before, right? But they just couldn't get together on uh, yeah, see, on payment or what or where the you know if the fight was going to be a main event or co-main event, or they weren't going to put it on pay per view because the UFC uh, only will you know put a belt on the poster. It's, and I'm see, telling there you, you go. it seems real simple to me right yeah, now. Yeah, it seems from real where simple I'm sitting. if you can get everybody to agree to it. But getting Conor McGregor to agree to a fight, eh, it's not so easy, especially these days. And you might just end up running into the same problem you ran into with Brock Lesnar. Like we talked about this before. You've got a new setup for how your pay-per-views work. Everything runs through ESPN Plus now. So there's a, a paywall to the paywall. You're going to probably be selling fewer pay-per-views, but if you're the UFC, you don't care that much because you're getting that upfront money from ESPN. If you're the fighter relying on a cut of pay-per-view sales, you do care. And you probably want to go back in there and restructure some aspects of your deal now that the situation has changed. But the UFC, at least in the Brock Lesnar situation, seems like it's not that enthusiastic about restructuring anything or cutting anybody in on its new revenue streams. And so you might just end up running into that same situation with Conor McGregor. But if you're the UFC... Now maybe you don't have as much motivation to just sell pay-per-views at all costs. And so you're like, fine, sit out if you want to. I'll, we'll, we'll do something else with Donald Cerrone. He even, Donald Cerrone even said, I'll probably just get bored and fight whoever in a couple months anyway. Like, you know, you can just wait him out and Donald Cerrone's going to want to accept whatever you throw at him. So it seems like in a perfect world, yeah, that's what you would do. It also seems like there are a lot of things that could prevent you from being able to do it. Yeah, but they're the things that are always there with Conor McGregor, right? You have this new landscape now with ESPN Plus, and I agree that that changes uh, the the uh, the essence of what these negotiations have to be. But if Conor McGregor is ever going to fight again, and maybe he won't, I don't know. It seems like he is in the midst of pulling off the greatest trick that the devil ever pulled uh, by making a shitload of money off proper 12, which... Hey, man, if you can get a giant paycheck from that and you don't have to fight anymore, more power to you. When I look at the social media presence, it doesn't seem like there's a ton going on. It seems like if Conor <laughs> McGregor some time. ever wants to return to the cage, and maybe we're still waiting to see how uh, the legal stuff plays out in Ireland. I don't know. But it seems like if Conor McGregor is going to return to the UFC, it ought to be any time now. And yeah. he and Cerrone have both... And that'd be a good fight. Yeah. it's And it's like, as we said, when they poo-pooed the idea of putting on pay-per-view the first time, that's absolutely a fight you could have main event, a UFC pay-per-view with no title. Yeah, absolutely. And it just kind of serves everybody's interest. It's an exciting fight matchup-wise. It's If Conor McGregor needs to get another win in order to make his case to – for a rematch at Khabib Nurmagomedov, if, in fact, that is what he wants. If I mean, he could use just a win anyway, just to remind people that he used to win fights a lot. He wasn't always the guy who made a ton of money losing. Donald Cerrone is a good guy for him to fight. Like, that's a, a winnable fight, even though, you know, it's obviously not a gimme. Nobody's right. going to get in there and get an easy win over Donald Cerrone. It's not a gimme, but everything that we know about Conor McGregor's strengths and everything we know about Donald Cerrone's perceived weaknesses shall we say, are complimentary. Especially if Cerrone wants to fight on the feet. Right. If he wants to strike it out with Conor McGregor, I feel like he probably gets knocked out. Things but, get interesting if you wind up on the mat. Yeah. Because Cerrone is dangerous there, and we've seen McGregor uh, be not so dangerous. But yeah, but Cerrone also, he's dangerous there, but he also has a little bit of that Diaz stuff in him and that it's not really going to be his idea right, to yeah, take it there. Absolutely. Very often. Uh, also, complicating this mix you got a guy like Tony Ferguson. Yeah, I was just going to say, oh, by the way, we haven't even mentioned Tony Ferguson yet. Yeah. A guy who is obviously dealing with his own stuff on but the he's sidelines. Out, he's out there acting like he's ready. It seemed like he's made some progress, at least uh, publicly. That's Outwardly, how, yeah. That's how it looks. So, like, if he is ready to return and anytime soon, he definitely will be in the mix. Uh, you but, could match him up against the winner of that Khabib-Dustin Poirier fight, no questions asked. Like, yeah, he doesn't need absolutely. to do anything else right now. I mean, if – like, I think – you, it would be nice to see some reassurances that everything is going okay with yeah. Tony Ferguson. You need it to do would, some leg work. Yeah, it would seem super irresponsible to take a guy who might be in a vulnerable psychological situation and be like, and now get ready for this high-profile title fight. That's the biggest opportunity of your career and is going to put a whole lot of pressure on you. You don't want to really do that if it seems like he's still in a fragile mindset. But if you could, if you can all be convinced that Tony Ferguson is good to go mentally and physically – 
you match him up against the winner of that and you have yourself a barn burner either way. Yeah. And Tony Ferguson is one of these guys where, as you said, he could come in and fight for the title right off the bat. And I don't think anyone would really question it. You could also match him up against damn near anybody in the top 10 and it would be just fine. It would be uh, exactly the kind of fight that the UFC is making right now where we don't know ex- entirely what it means, but like it's going to be fire. In the cage. It's going to be Donald Cerrone versus Ally Quinta. Two guys that are going to throw down over maybe specious stakes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, the idea that Khabib is really going to get in there and fight all the, like these three times where he has this plan between September and April. Do you believe that? Because it does come not really from him, but from his manager who is known to just say some stuff. I believe it was the truth when they said it. Like a couple days ago yeah, or whatever at it was? the moment that they said that, I believe that that was the truth. You believe, believe they believed it? If you walked up to Habib Nurmagomedov and you were like, hey, man, you're going to fight three times in the next year? He'd be like, hell yeah, absolutely. Yes, send me location. But as you mentioned with Conor McGregor, there's a lot of stuff that has to happen to make that any of those fights come to fruition. And a lot of stuff can happen in the interim, including taking a flying leap off the cage into the middle of the crowd to go after Dylan Dennis well, or something. Doesn't it seem like maybe at least other people, maybe not the Conor McGregor camp, but I think after that, other people learned a lesson about antagonizing Khabib Nurmagomedov. I don't think a whole lot of people are going to be looking to fuck with him in that particular way anymore. So you're telling me that you think that the mixed martial arts world is a world where people see what happens and are like, oh, I've learned a lesson here. Don't approach Khabib Nurmagomedov in a hotel and talk some trash. I think this may be the one lesson people are capable of learning is that, as you said, some people don't play. Khabib is one of those people. I don't know. We're going to have to get a co-main event podcast uh, correspondent out in the field to ask Dylan Danis, do you learn a valuable lesson? <laughs> hey, Dylan, you seem like the type that learns from your mistakes. Can you talk about the personal growth you've experienced as a result of this experience? Anyway, that's going to do it for round number two. We'll be right back. Round number three. UFC 237, May 11th, this Saturday night from Rio de Janeiro, Brazil, day before Mother's Day. Okay. So everybody out there in listener land, don't forget, don't get so hype about UFC 237 that you forget to get your mom a present for Mother's Day. At the very least, text your mom. And if you do forget, don't try to blame it on getting so hyped for UFC 237 because no one's going to believe that. Maybe invite your mom over to UFC 237. Make a night of it. Mother's Day party slash UFC 237 viewing party. Now that's what mom will really enjoy. Come over and watch a mediocre UFC pay-per-view the night before Mother's Day. Well, I heard mom Not is a huge... Not brunch or anything, no. She's a huge Laureano Staropoli fan. Nailed it. So she's going to want to be there for his welterweight matchup with Tiago Alves. Yeah. Are you surprised that Rose Namajunas at some platforms is an underdog to Jessica Andrade? I mean... Yes. I'm going to say yes. Because a five-round fight against Jessica Andrade, I think Rose figures out a way to get it done. I think that that's the way to think. If it was a three-round fight, I'd be a little more worried, I guess. Yeah, it seems like uh, if this thing does go 25 minutes, then Rose Namajunas is going to have a lot of opportunities to to figure out what Jessica Andrade has going on and maybe her... uh, Slightly more diverse striking skill set and, you know, slightly more diverse overall MMA skill set is going to come to the fore here. Uh, I was taken aback, to be honest with you, to look up and see uh, that Jessica Andrade is, is it's kind of flip flop in some places, but uh, it's close. It's, yeah. But that she is the slight favorite in this fight. She comes in on the heels of three straight wins. Claudia Gadella, Tisha Torres and Carolina Kovalkiewicz. And of course, prior to that, the loss to Yanni Ajaychik at UFC 211 back uh in May of 2017. Well, and we know about Jessica Andrade that she's a powerhouse. She can come out there and she can push you around some. Yeah. I mean, we I, know what she's going to do. Yeah. Well, uh, more or less, we know what she's going to do. My question is, can you finish Rose Namajunas, who is tough just all the way around? And if you can't finish her, 
can you still be there for all five rounds fighting the way Jessica Andrade does? And that's my question. I, I'm not totally sure about that. Yeah, that's a, that, that is a, a great question. And uh, you would think that uh, Rose Namajunas is going to be prepared for that. She's going to be prepared for uh, the kind of forward pressure and power punching that Jessica Andrade uh, typically shows in her fights. Going to be prepared for the crowd to yell at her. She's going to die. Yep. Went straight into the lion's den here. I mean, if we've learned every anything from Rose Namajunas over the, the last few fights, uh, it's clear that like she is well prepared and a student of the game, right? I think like especially the last two performances over Joanna Jacek show you that not only uh, was Rose, who's still just 26 years old, like just coming into her own as a fighter, like still continuing to get better and add to her own skill set. So um, if I were on team Andrade, I might be a little bit concerned about that, that it seems like Nama Yunus is probably going to be, you know, a little bit more, have more tools in the tool bag, let's say. Well, but then again, it has been a little over a year since she last fought. If there are any questions about Rose Nama Yunus, I don't think it's uh skill set related, let's say. She's coming in here after, you know, uh, the, the two fights with UNA and Jacek, the last one in April 2018. You come back after a year off and going to Brazil to defend your title, which you don't really often see it work that way, where the defending champion has to go into the challenger's realm in order to defend that title. So, I mean, there are some things that are potentially working against her here. Yeah. And, you know, there was the UFC 223 uh, hand truck incident. We were led which to believe. apparently affected her a lot. Yeah, which I think is, is understandable. Yes. And, and another, like, very human moment in this sport where sometimes our tendency from the outside looking in is to treat people like they are not necessarily fully formed emotional human beings. But, like, there's been a lot of talk around Rose Namajunas. People, uh, you know, that she trains with, people in her camp being like, Rose doesn't necessarily seem like a person that's going to make her life's work out of mixed martial arts. So, and it has been uh, a little bit over a year since we've seen her fight. So if there are questions, like I said, surrounding Rose Namajunas, I don't necessarily know it's going to be about her, uh, her MMA abilities. I think it's like a question of like, how up for this is she, how dedicated to the, to this is she like, does she want to be the champion in the UFC for a long period of time, or does she kind of have one foot out the door? Yeah. I mean, what do you think overall the excitement level is for a, a fight card like this one? Because obviously the, the shit eating wild people are going to be into Rose Namajunas versus Jessica Andrade. That's a good fight. But then as we mentioned before, the undercard doesn't have a whole lot going on. Yeah. If you already are like, oh, I'm not sure I want to, take the the leap to sign up for ESPN plus or to buy a pay-per-view from them for this. I don't see a whole lot on this fight card that convinces you like, okay, well, damn it. I give in now. I can't resist this one. It's not one that makes you feel like people are going to be pole vaulting across the moat and scaling the castle. <laughs> if wall they haven't already to get into ESPN plus so they can get the pay-per-view. Right. However, like I think it is kind of a good one to roll out. If a bunch of people just signed up for your, like whatever your one year of ESPN plus, plus a pay-per-view or two pay-per-views or whatever it was, if whatever the, the discount pricing yeah. they got. Like it's a good one to roll out when a bunch of people just got a deal. Right. Yeah. Well, and as we talked about before, when we got a question from somebody who was like, I'm a member of the UFC fight club and they had given these discount codes, but they were like codes for a free UFC pay-per-view, but they didn't work when they moved over to ESPN plus and the UFC executive that I talked to was like, well, we're trying to get that figured out in time for UFC 237. If you got that code, this might be one you want to use it on because yeah. you might not feel like it's worth, you know, $60 of your American money. But if I got a code and I just got to enter that, all right, then you get me. Plus, like we've been saying a bunch since the deal was announced, we don't even know what the new normal will be vis-a-vis -vis UFC pay-per-views now that they're getting all this upfront licensing money from ESPN. Like, and it's not like early UFC is going to run – and tell us at the earliest opportunity how sales are doing. No, they're and like we're gonna have to figure out what the the philosophy regarding UFC pay-per-views is moving forward uh, with our eyeballs. Like we might be seeing it in front of our very eyes right now. As far as we know, like if the UFC is getting all this upfront money from ESPN and maybe pay-per-view buys aren't as important as they used to be, maybe they are perfectly willing to 
throw a UFC title on there, you know, whatever title it happens to be, whosever turn in the rotation it is, this time it happens to be women's straw weight, maybe they're perfectly comfortable putting Rose Namajunas versus Jessica Andrade as the main event of a pay-per-view, and then basically running out a bunch of other fights that seem like they are going to appeal to the folks in the arena, and not necessarily, like, you know, bring in pay-per-view buyers by the truckload. Like, this one, you look at this card, this one's for the homies in Rio de Janeiro. (laughs) Right, it is. It really is. I mean, Roger Nog. That one might have totally escaped my notice. That right, Roger Nog is on the prelims. Well, you're here. not used to looking that far down the card for him. No, although he is the fut- the featured prelim on ESPN Television. So maybe it's it's deceptive. Maybe that's actually not that bad of a uh, of a slot for him. Man, how bad do you wish you were at the press conference for this one so that you could be like, Roger, tell us about the skeleton. What happened with the skeleton? Did you guys seriously take that shit on the bus? How'd you manage to get it on the bus, Raj? Uh, That's when his lawyer comes out from the back. No further questions. (laughs) No further questions for Mr. Nogira. We said no skeleton-related questions. Uh, The weird one for me here is how are we supposed to feel about BJ Penn? He's on here on the prelims against Clay Guida. There has been a lot of troubling stuff coming out about BJ Penn and things that he is accused of got like an active restraining order against him when last we heard. And yet here he is on the prelims of a UFC event. Yeah. And that is saying something too, because in a vacuum, I would say that indifference is probably how we would feel. About Even if there's nothing going on personally, yeah, like the best case scenario yeah. would be indifference about a matchup between BJ Penn and Clay Guida. You add on top of all that stuff, this personal uh, you know, legal troubles that BJ Penn has going on and you might indifference might sour a little bit into uh regret or uh, uh, disinterest in, you know, from the, from the public. Yeah. All right. Let's do just saying stuff, Ben, and then we'll get out of here for this week. Ben, what's your just saying stuff? Well, we talked about heading into uh Saturday's event. Juan Adams doing all that talking. Man, are we going to do a heavyweight just saying stuff? Because that's what I got too. Yeah. Is this the first time ever that without conferring about this, we're going to show up with the same, are you fucking kidding me, and the same just saying stuff? Wow, that's weird. Maybe this is where we just shut down the podcast. Yeah, just pull we've, the plug. We've hit our peak. Anyway, Juan Adams mm-hmm. went out there. He was talking a lot about how much he hated Greg Hardy. Yeah. How much he wanted to fight Greg Hardy. And we were saying, you know, the big – thing you got going against you is you don't look like a total tomato can which is seems like the one requirement that the ufc has right now for picking out greg hardy's opponents and he goes out here though and he loses yeah and loses a decision here kind of gets out wrestled and i guess what i'm just saying is that does not hurt your case to fight greg hardy that might actually be the best thing that could happen to you if what you want is a fight with greg hardy because, man, now you look a little vulnerable, and now maybe the UFC is into it. I'm just saying, if one Adams knows how to work this, he could really make something out of it. Just saying. Just saying. Crazy like a fox, going out there and sneakily putting in a compelling resume of a compelling application to fight Greg Hardy. Like, you know what this record is missing? A loss. That's right. <laughs> I was going to say this week, we talk a lot about heavyweight as being a shallow division, a division where, you know, you're never too far away from a title shot just because there aren't too many big guys out there. Right. I was just saying this week, I kind of enjoy the fact that right now in the heavyweight division, there are all of these subplots happening that like, you know, up at the top, we got Daniel Cormier, whether or not he was going to fight Brock Lesnar and now Stipe Miocic. Uh, kind of, let's say, handling the marquee stuff. But underneath that, you got all this kind of like subplot stuff happening where we don't know what to think about Greg Hardy. And here comes Juan Adams. He wants to fight Greg Hardy. But, oh, Juan Adams just lost. And does that make him a more likely opponent for Greg Hardy than if he had won? And on top of that, you got Walt Harris going out there and getting a 50-second victory at this uh, UFC event. Looking pretty good, too. In yeah. Ottawa. And then he goes and he calls out the big pretty Justin Willis. And I'm just like... I'm liking this, man. Like, if you are paying close attention to the heavyweight division, there's a lot of uh, stuff going on that yeah. could hold your interest at the very least. You know what I appreciate? I followed uh, Juan Adams' Twitter account and noticed he removed the tags from his Reebok kit because he looked on the tag and it said 2XL. And he said he doesn't need that uh, body shaming negativity. Yeah. Took the tag out. 
That's 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 a Twitter account I can appreciate. He's also isn't he like six foot five and two fifty something like that. He's he's a big guy. Yeah, he's a double XL guy. Let's just say. <laughs> You'd think he'd have made peace with that by now. Just saying. Anyway, that's going to do it for this week's Co-Main Event Podcast. We'll be back next week to break down all the stuff that happens at UFC 237, Nama Yunus versus Andrade, and then we'll start to look ahead to the upcoming calendar in the UFC. As for right now, though, we are done. We are through. We are out. Do you think maybe Reebok ought to consider like some fantasy size for the big guys? Yeah, just like so immediate tag in yeah. there. Yeah. Oh, man, 